Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Becoming Fully Human podcast. Today's episode is an interview with Ashley from Raising Humans Kind. It's her Instagram handle and she is a holistic family psychologist. Ashley has really changed me so much um, in the short time that I've been following her. Her her wisdom is profound and her insights on mindful parenting, um, yeah, have completely blown me away. And so I am so honored to interview her today. Her work has just planted so many seeds in me when it comes to the kind of parenting that I want to embody as a parent one day and whether or not you have children yet. Um, as we will explore in this podcast, it's never too early and it's never too late um, to really engage with parenting in a more mindful way. So whether you're raising your own inner child at the moment, reparenting yourself, whether you're looking towards the future or whether you're raising children um, currently, no matter how old they are, I hope this podcast inspires you. Her wisdom is so profound. I will link to her website, her Instagram handle, and yeah, I hope you really enjoy her words. Ashley's just an incredible, incredibly wise and incredible woman. So thank you so much, um, Ashley, for being on today, and I hope you all enjoy. Yeah, cool. So welcome. Um, yeah, thank you so much. I actually thought... Um, as we're starting, I would tell you how I discovered you because it was quite an impactful, I was like, whoa, who is this woman? Like it was your brother, Nick. I ah. He told yes, a story yes. about being around your children and how he had responded to one of your, your kids was crying or something was going on. And he responded very much like trying to fix, like he was like giving them a toy or like, here, like, what can I do? Like, you know, and, and how you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa we're going to have to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> I, if I you want to add to that story, <laughs> well, if you recall, I would love for you to tell it because for me, it was beautiful. I was like, wow. I mean, on so many levels, the self-awareness of even just your dynamic with him and your relationship enough to like know that he can meet that awareness. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I thought maybe you could tell the story. And that's what I was going to say. Like every, uh, not everybody, like so many people mentioned that story to me and he, and, and you know, if you follow his work or if you know him, you know that he's such an open person to feedback and he's on such a mm -hmm. um, dedicated path to to self-growth and self-improvement so I wouldn't have made that comment it sounded like such a kind of harsh thing to say but oh, it has no, to I be disagree. put into context yeah. with our with our relationship and me knowing that he's just so open to learning and using kids to be able to see the parts of ourselves that we can't see mm -hmm. which is a big part of what I think is really important in parenting is that they shine a mirror on us in a way that we've been able to avoid mm -hmm. always before having children Mm -hmm. Um, and so I know that he's so dedicated to that. So it, I knew that he would be open to that. There would be many other people in my family that I would not have had that same <laughs> conversation with, I mean, but I, I just knew yeah. that, yeah, he's, yeah. he's there and he's ready and he, and he loves that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, it was just a, a situation where, um, I think the Lego broke and 
my son got upset. And one of the big things that I do in my work is I talk about the importance of healing, of uh, the healing properties of sad tears. So it's so important for our children to be able to experience sadness and disappointment and release that through tears because it holds all of the stress hormones and it really rebalances their system. Mm. Um, but what happens, especially with our more sensitive children, is they start to defend against that and they start to, like, you know what it's like to move through a big emotion. It feels uncomfortable and it feels hard. Mm-hmm. So even when as parents we're really open to those feelings, for some of our children they're more likely to try and hold them in. And my eldest child is a deeply feeling kid and and he's one of those kids that's more likely to want to hold him in. So whenever there's an opportunity for him to feel sadness, Mm. I'm more like, let's just sit here and be in it and let him, whereas my brother was like, I can fix that for you, which in some cases would have been a perfect response. Mm. Um, But just given the wider context of knowing that kids need to release those emotions and that my son in particular has a tendency to hold them in, Mm. then I was sharing with my brother that it was better for us to um just be in that space and be like wow that's that's really hard it broke um and to just let him feel it before we fixed the lego Mm, that's so beautiful and yeah I mean that's the first thing I mean many things came up for me when I read that but mostly it was about how beautiful I mean the self-awareness the degree of self-awareness in parenting and like the consciousness around it was so beautiful but also your relationship to your brother knowing him I mean through the online world and just the capacity for like you know siblings to be like let's grow together I mean even like your children having the capacity to mirror to him it's just it was I was like wow this is and since (laughs) then I your your page which I will link to all that stuff has just consistently blown me away I don't have children yet in this lifetime but it's definitely in my future and you know, conscious, even conception, prepare, like preparing for having children. And then of course, raising them for me, it's, it's as a woman, I think part of it's just built in, but I know in my path of like really wanting to provide my children, this opportunity to both grow themselves and myself, because like you said, I think children are this, every relationship is an incredible mirror, but the, the parenting piece is just one that you, like you said, you can't run away from it. And it's so mm. possible to run from every relationship in our life. But our children are these things that, you know, we have, we're raising and they're giving us an opportunity every moment to see ourselves, different angles of ourselves. And I think particularly ourselves through the age, right? That our children grow mm. when they're babies, it brings up somatic realities from when we were babies. And then every step of the way, as they grow, it's like, it's incredible. Um, yeah. So yeah, I thought maybe you could just start with what is it that you do? Like what, how would you describe the parenting style? Is there, a, is there a formal name for it? Is there a label? Or maybe you can just talk a little bit about how you came to teach how you do. Yeah. Um, so I was working as a trauma therapist before I had my son and it, you know, we were working with a lot of amazing ideas and sharing with parents, but it was at the point where, like, you know, these kids had been deeply traumatized. And it was once I had my baby, I was like, wow, why doesn't everybody know this stuff anyway? Right? Like, why are we waiting until the worst of the worst happens 
before we empower parents to have the knowledge of how we can support our children to move through their emotions and rebalance their systems. And, um, and I didn't want to go back to work once I had my baby. So I was like, oh, how can I, <laughs> how can I do this? So it just kind of built from there. And I just have been quite lucky. It's just grown really organically. And um, it was just something that I started sharing when I had my first baby. And um, I thought maybe I can just, you know, meet enough people online to have some clients and, and not have to go back to work. And it's just grown and grown. And I've been able to stay home with my babies while do this on the side, which, is, which was my absolute Mm -hmm. my that was my biggest goal um so essentially what I teach is there's kind of two pieces to it so one is this like idea that we were just talking about of of Mm self-reflection and how can we instead of putting all the focus on our children and their behavior how can we turn it back inwards and show us what it what it can show in us and what is it bringing up in us and what layers do we need to heal and how can we be with those triggers so that we can um, yeah, heal more, more of our own stuff that we bring to this relationship. And then the other piece that's come about more organically as my own children have grown is the piece about um, de- like the developmental science piece, because I think we, as parents, we're so, or as a culture, we're so misaligned with children mm. and we just don't have any understanding. Our, our expectations are either way too high or way too low. We just never really seem to get it right as a culture of, of what we should expect of our young children. So the piece that's come about in the last couple of years for me is really helping parents understand this developmental science piece of where kids could be at because, you know, things like, for example, um, when children are learning to be with the emotion of frustration, it often comes out in a physical form of aggression in the early years. Now that's completely normal. That's what happens. And then it kind of progresses to more like verbal bouts of aggression and then they get more impulse control. And so when parents can understand that, they can respond more effectively rather than really panicking that something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll go into a little bit later about where we can see when it's gone too much. But it, I just think it's really empowering for parents to have an understanding of actual developmental science and where mm-hmm. our kids could be. Um, because as I said, our culture is just so misguided when it comes to that. So it's really hard to have an, a different parenting style to what your culture is, is suggesting you should and then not understand the developmental science. So I'm trying to bring both of those together. And I'm mostly, um, just as you said about who, I think you said who, who am I guided by? So my biggest mentor would be Dr. Gordon Neufeld, who's really beautiful at articulating that, that um, developmental science. Slight sidetrack, but what that reminds me so much of as well as just in relationship, like in partnership, how um, much for me understanding how men operate differently than women Mm. has Mm. completely changed how I relate in relationship. Like, you know, we have these expectations that we project based on, you know, being a woman and expecting, I think many, many women operate and men um, that we just treat, you know, the opposite gender as a different, you know, like a a bigger woman for the men or yeah. person, yeah. you know, and we're just all so different. So really understanding who it is we're interacting with, how they think differently, the psychology, all these things, it has made my life so much more harmonious mm. and like mm. holding space mm. for the other person's experience, right? The child's experience mm. at their mm. age of development, as opposed to like projecting adulthood. 
exactly exactly child exactly because that's exactly what we do in in with parenting as well we expect children to be smaller adults exactly it's just not how their brains are wired they're not going to work like that yeah Mm -hmm. so before we get into parenting I thought we could explore any advice you have for people like me before we have children if there are people out there who are you know nerd out on this stuff like me (laughs) children what what advice do you have for people who want to be mindful parents? Mm. Well, I think there's a lot of beautiful stuff around conscious conception and things like that to be able to start early. Um, but I guess what I would bring to the table in terms of what I see is most challenging for parents is getting on the same page where possible with mm. the person with whom you're choosing to have children with, mm. because it is a big deal to choose a more respectful parenting path in the culture that we have today Mm -hmm. and so to come into parenting with that same idea and you're never going to know what it's going to look like you're never going to be you can have all of these expectations before you're a parent of I'm going to do this or I'm going to do this and and none of it will happen (laughs) but if you can at least agree or, or be somewhat on the same page about the method that you're going to try I think that that's really powerful because I think so many parents don't talk about how we will parent. We talk about when we'll have a baby, maybe even how we'll have, you know, how that will kind of work, mm-hmm. um, the practicals of it. But we don't talk about, so when that baby arrives, what do you think is going to happen? What do you expect? How, do you, how are we going to deal with the fact that the baby isn't going to sleep? What are your ideas about that? Because some people are going to come in that, well, we'll just shut the door and leave the baby to cry. And for some other people, they're going, well, there's no way I can do that. And then now there's a huge amount of tension. Mm-hmm. So now not only are you pushing up against a culture that tells you you should do all these things, but if you don't have that partner to be able to support you, it becomes really challenging. Mm. So while I think it's, it, it's, it's a tricky conversation to have, I think it would be really wise for more parents to talk about some of the ways that they would deal with the challenges mm-hmm. and some of the ways they think that they might, which kind of path they might, might follow in terms of that and what are their preconceived ideas yeah I love it um yeah I think I've done that for a while now (laughs) there's just yeah there's some things you know we think of like deal breakers and and like that in dating but really raising children like I just see so many people going through the ringer as new parents and facing challenges that I think a lot of talking about things sooner rather than later is just yeah gives such an opportunity even just to see how your partner reacts to you know the possibility of this happening or that happening it really Mm. is super telling about so much Mm. and Mm. yeah I think that's powerful um yeah I mean speaking of people going you know having hardships with with their children I mean I have a lot of friends you know quite conscious people in many aspects of their life um they're raising their children super off like hands-off mentality which you know there's the very hands-on which is like strict and I think maybe slightly older generation more old school and the pendulum seems to have swung Mm. the opposite way when we you know talk about mindful parenting where it's child-led everything um and in my experience it leads to very destructive of destructive vibe, like to, to say the least, where a lot of people actually don't want to be around these families in these formative years of the children's life. And um, 
yeah, maybe you can just touch on like how important are rules and boundaries and in generating, like, you know, supporting children. And of course you just, you don't want too much. I know I see, we've seen the generations, we've seen the results of that, the dissociation and not being in touch with your emotions and all this, like, you know, we're having to do so much somatic work. People are really having to like do the work around this to heal those wounds, but what's the alternative to no rules? So I love that you're noticing that even before having children, this just makes me so excited that these conversations are happening and and, you know, I do believe that we can get the pendulum back because as you said, you know, we, most of us were raised where it was really one way and strict and harsh. And so we're like, oh, and what happens is we either, if we're doing it unconsciously, we either replicate or we react to what our parents have done. So mm-hmm. we either just like blindly follow them or we do the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. And when we want to bring a more conscious response to it, it's like, okay, well, where's that middle ground? Yeah. And so what I try and teach in my work is really helping parents understand that the middle ground is, is leadership mm-hmm. around caretaking activities. Mm-hmm. So a child, that we know that attachment is hierarchical. If you think about any traditional culture, right, we had our elders, like there, there should be a hierarchy. That's how it should go. And we've kind of lost that because we're not looking up to our elders and feeling in touch with them or or resonating with their teachers. So we're kind of all over the place. But for the next generation, we still want to be at the top of that hierarchy. And that doesn't mean we power over and we don't give any choices, but it does mean we embody a sense of leadership when it comes to looking after our children and caretaking for our children. So it means we make the tricky decisions around things like bedtime. They can choose what books they read, but we decide when they go to bed. We decide what's served for the meal. They can choose how much and they can choose what of that off the plate that they, that they want to eat. But we decide those um, caretaking activities because that's when the child goes, oh, there's someone here to look after me. And now I can just melt back into that child position. Mm. So that's the first thing I say that when it, like, when it comes to caretaking stuff, that like that's our role and mm. that, and that shouldn't, that it's a really big role and it shouldn't be placed onto the child because it's too alarming for them. And then when children get more alarmed, we see more challenging behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of, so that's, that's kind of the first piece. And then the second piece to, I think, remember is that the, and this is where I think we're all getting muddled is that children who aren't raised with consequences and fear are in some ways going to be more challenging right? Like if they're not scared into submit into obedience, then there are going to be times when, when they're um, more impulsive, more immature. And yes, that's normal, but we also need to come into those moments with our own boundaries and our own leadership. And what I think is really important for parents to understand is there's like, there's no such thing as a verbal boundary in early childhood. Like you can't just tell your child what you want and then expect them to follow through. So part of embodying that leadership and embodying that that hierarchy in the attachment position is to be able to step in and physically support your child. And maybe that means containing them if they're having big emotions and they're being aggressive. Mm. Or maybe that means physically pulling them down from something that's not safe. Mm-hmm. Or it means recognising when they are out of balance and stepping in. Because maybe in a, in a big group setting, kids get really off center really easily and they get really hyperactive, which is often alarm is what's generating that. And then they can't control their body. 
So then that's our job to step in as their leader and contain that. And if we don't, if we don't step in and offer those boundaries, one is I think that they get too alarmed because they don't feel like they're being cared for. And the second thing is I think they start to get scared of their own emotions Mm -hmm. because while we're sitting back and going, oh, you're all free to express your emotions, if there's no containment around that, then they're like, whoa, these things are huge and big and I don't want to feel this. And then what happens as they grow older? They're not getting that safety. They're not getting that co-regulation. They're not getting that message that I can come in and I can contain this emotion for you in Mm -hmm. a way that like I just mean I can sit here and be here. Yeah. And, and make sure it doesn't feel out of control for you because mm-hmm. no kid likes to hurt or get aggressive or be destructive. And so when that's happening, they're asking for help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it makes so much sense to me, even really that safety piece, right? Like when there are no boundaries and people, mm-hmm. the world is a huge place. Like you're a tiny yeah. little being, you've come into a, yeah. a completely new universe and for there to be a structure, although I think so many people reject and really like, oh, no, the child knows. The child, like, they're learning mm. from you. And mm. having safety, like, you know, the safety of a hug, but the hug being the boundaries, like, this yeah. you know, this yeah. is the safe place, really, it it fosters an environment for them to develop and, and trust the world and be like, okay, you know, if I fall, yeah. this will be here and that's there. It's like, yeah, that, that structure... Yeah, I think that pendulum finding the middle ground, um, yeah, so vital. And I love that you brought that up, the child knows. I think like, yeah, and I think that is a bit of the pendulum swing of like, yes, the child does know their own body, but we're not in an environment that is very conducive to that child figuring that out. So when it comes to screens or when it comes to mm. um, processed food, like mm. none of us, mm-hmm. we, like I can't make that decision with a fully functioning, like fully developed brain. And yet we have these ideas of the child knows best, the child knows their body. Mm. Well, yes, but in a culture where the child's picking berries or like, you know, <laughs> like there's, there's a boundary there. Right, mm-hmm. there's only so much of X on the tree. Totally. Oh, or we don't live. We don't so live different in when this times. No, no. no we don't. So we can't hyper. Use that. Yeah, yeah. Everything's exactly. hyper palatable and hyper stimulating, and yeah, yeah. It's a completely different world than this world where maybe naturally and still, I mean, still even learning about ancestral cultures. There's so many. Practices. There was still a hierarchy. Of course, yeah. I remember. Yeah. I don't know where who taught me this but this idea that like in some tribes babies didn't really touch the ground outside of their like tribal wall until the age of two you know there's this like really everything was so mindful and structured and safe creating really like these these steps and ushering into the next chapter of their life that really don't exist anymore for many of our modern cultures and I think what we do, yeah, we pick out those little practices and we try and yeah. transplant them into our culture. And then we're like, oh, why isn't this working? We have to look within where we're at. Yeah. And our kids are so much more overstimulated and they're taken off to like new events and new people. And that's really mm-hmm. stimulating for a child. And so we have to be able to step in and support children around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are some of the biggest mistakes you see parents making while they're parenting? I think um, it's a tough question. I think it depends like which kind of parent you're talking about, but in terms of probably your listeners and and your kind of more conscious, aware community, Mm -hmm. um, 
I think what I would say is this missing piece of understanding when too much has been for a child. So in an attempt to accept all emotions and in an attempt to um, allow children to be children, I think sometimes we're going too far and we're missing when they're what I call stuck. Mm -hmm. And so when a child is persistently, like while aggression is a really normal way for children to manage their frustration, when they're doing it persistently and consistently and all day, every day, something's going on for that child. Mm -hmm. And that's not just early development. And I think that that's the piece that we are missing in an attempt to try and accept our children for who they are and accept their emotions. We're Mm -hmm. missing when they're probably actually signaling to us that something in their environment is is not working for them and it's too much and it's too hard because even though aggression is a normal form of managing frustration, as I said, in early childhood, it shouldn't be all day, every day. Right. And, and, so, and so I think we're, yeah, we're not seeing that. So in this situation, when a parent might notice that their child is all day, every day aggressive, what would you recommend? What, what, what next? So I can't, there's kind of like a few principles I come back to, but essentially what I always say is like a stuck, stuck child doesn't need fancy tips or tricks. They need more of the basics. Mm-hmm. So like, let's come back to connection. Let's come back to simplifying their environment and their day. Like so many kids just have too much going on and that's why they get stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a few things we could come back to, but essentially I like to talk about a bucket analogy. So the emotions, there'll be something going on that's filling the bucket and then we need to empty the bucket. So the bucket will always be being filled. Like there's always emotions, right? They're always generating in the body. They're kind of the child's always filling up. But it shouldn't be this like constant, like the tap shouldn't be turned on and like gushing out. The tap should just be like a light stream. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I would always want to look at is what's going on in their environment. Is there too much time away from mum and dad? Is there too much time with other kids? Sometimes other kids are really stimulating and that can be really tricky for some people. Is it that there's just not enough rhythm? Like there's a few things we could go through, Mm -hmm. but then also are they, are we emptying that bucket? Mm -hmm. Because the emote is the emotion actually coming out of the body. And so one really important way for children is that they have their tears of sadness. Mm -hmm. And if they're not having those tears of sadness, they can get stuck in that kind of aggression mode. And, and this is something that children are losing a lot of in our, in our, um, current generation even among respectful parents so I'd be wanting to know are they are they actually crying from tears of sadness are they moving their body to the point of fatigue are they spending too much time like at a school system or something or are they actually like physically getting exhausted mm-hmm. are they engaging in what we call true play so true play is the play that comes from within a child out it's not tv it's not copying some lego construction that, you know, it's, it's, it's created from the child and it comes out. And that's a really beautiful way where they can look after their emotions. Mm-hmm. So are they getting time for that in the day? Is there enough playfulness? So playfulness is a really beautiful way that we can help children move emotion and build connection. And they giggle and they laugh and that really helps recenter their systems. So these are the types of things that will, what I, what I say is empty their bucket. So are those things yeah. happening? And that's their kind of the basics that I want all parents to come back to when they notice this type of stuckness and to not judge themselves, not like my kids have been through periods of stuckness. Like it's not, it happens to all of us, but I just think it's a conversation we have to have and something that parents need to look out for rather than just putting it down to, oh, that's, that's just what happens when a child's four or whatever. 
So what I noticed in your answer is you didn't suggest like asking the child or like having a conversation with a child, expecting them to know what's up. I love that you picked up on that. No way. We, this is another, maybe this is the second thing that biggest mistakes is we ask children way too much. Right. We are their answer. Mm-hmm. We are meant to know them. Mm-hmm. We are like, it's our job to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And that's what gives them the opportunity to rest in the, in their position as a child. Mm-hmm. And when we're going, why are you, why are you aggressive with your sister? Why? They're like, I don't know. Like it's an impulse. It's an emotion. It just happens. Mm-hmm. They can't make the logical connection between, oh, mom, I'm really overstimulated because school just feels like too much for me. Mm-hmm. And therefore I'm coming home and being aggressive towards my sister. They can't do that. Yeah. And it's our job as the leaders to put those pieces of the puzzle together without mm-hmm. consulting them. This is not a thing to consult a child on. I love that. Is it, um, is it ever too late to change your parenting style for the people, you know, listening who have older kids or are reflecting back on unconscious, you know, things that they kind of just went through the motions? I know, you know, even my beautiful mom, she apologized to me for how she parented me as a child. And, you know, she's gone through this huge awakening as, a, as an adult and so much self-reflection, which I mean, I'll circle back to that based on what I think you might say um but yeah is it ever too late to change your parenting style well I would ask you because like exactly your example is normally my answer so what I would ask you is like what impact did that have on you as an adult when she came to you yeah yeah that was I was gonna say it was you know even as an adult in my it was late 20s really when she said that it was liberating for me and so it's never too late yeah and that's always the the answer I give is imagine yourself at 10 15 20 40 Mm -hmm. and your parent comes to you and says my gosh I am so sorry I didn't see this or I couldn't see this or whatever and and I always say to parents imagine the difference it would make and you've just given that beautiful example where you can say it's yeah yeah it's incredible and it's so healing and so and so no it never matters yeah right it doesn't matter if your kids are 40 like it doesn't matter if there's always an opportunity to heal that layer and and to move through that and to stop it then seeping down into the next generation mm-hmm. um and i think that we should never in any of our relationships we should never feel like oh well i've got this far i might as well just keep you know being mm-hmm. this way right there's always yeah. space to be able to to I repair think- and grow yeah, I think there's the belief with children that like it's too late. You know, you hear age seven is a big one where yeah. like, all of, tra- you know, our whole personality and trauma and all the stuff before age seven, we're recording everything. And it's kind of like you have to get it right um, yeah. by a yeah. certain age. But really, it's yeah. at any age, the the degree of self-awareness and how that impacts your child, whether you're a child's an adult, even at that point, it really is so transformative. And- I think I've actually stopped talking about subconscious pre-programming for that reason because I think that while it's super important for us to know that the early years are important, um, I think it does the opposite. Yeah, we end up just like freaking out and going, well, oh, my gosh, my kid's seven and a half, therefore I've got, you know, I, like I can't do anything. Mm-hmm. And it's such an important piece for us to understand as a culture so we can stop locking babies in rooms and, you know, 
expecting them to cry themselves to sleep. Like we can actually go, okay, let's not do that. Um, but at the same time, like we have to understand that, yeah, we can always heal and grow. And if we just look at ourselves and look at the things that we've been able to do as adults, like it, there's always opportunity for movement and growth and healing. And, and I think we should never let pass, like never forget that piece. Mm-hmm. Um, can we explore a little bit the importance of like somatic wellness in children? Because I know this, you know, the concept of feeling safe is something that I've really had to explore as an adult and back to, you know, the, the not co-sleeping and that once in a while crying myself to sleep as a baby, that whole piece, despite not having the vivid memories, I've just, it's been mm-hmm. such a big part of my unraveling as an adult, you know, that concept of, of safety within self, like within the body. And um, if you have advice on how to support children through that, and I mean, I guess a second piece being like, ch- we're not the only people to raise our children, right? There's the teachers mm. and the other caregivers and like, how can we support children feeling safe in their bodies? And also maybe like, is there a way to give them tools to carry that out in the fact that there's other people raising our children that maybe aren't as mindful? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. So I think in terms of the first part of your question, I think in terms of helping them feel safe in their body is really about honoring their truth. And so when they are scared, it's really about accepting that. Like, okay, you feel scared right now. Like, that's okay. Sometimes I got scared when I was four too. That's okay. Like it really is just about not dismissing and denying that because most of us grew up with this idea of like, I feel scared. No, you don't. You shouldn't be scared. Oh, okay. Well now how do I make sense of the fact that actually the sensation inside of my body is telling me that I am scared. Mm -hmm. So I think the first really simple piece is just honoring, honoring the truth inside of their body. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it, it really comes back to, sorry, you asked a couple of questions there. So I'm trying to get back to, you said, what did you say before tool before is there any well, tools there was another well, part of this I mean supporting children in in their somatic yeah truth uh, connecting yeah. with their bodies honoring their bodies and then also maybe like that bridge that the fact that we're not the only people to raise our children so how yeah. to support them in in carrying that forth I guess when we're not around as the parent mm. so in terms of like I think it comes back to the real basics for kids. I think sometimes we get very um, adult focused and we try and put adult interventions onto children. So when it comes back to children understanding their bodies and feeling safe in their bodies, I always, I just still come back to this, not letting the bucket get too full and helping them learn how to empty their bucket. Yeah. So helping them understand that like, wow, your body's really fast right now. Let's go out and jump on the trampoline. Or I can see you're having a hard time being around your brother. I wonder if we need to, and then you can name, like, it's one of those basic things. It's like, it's movement, it's tears, it's having meltdowns, it's play and it's playfulness. Mm -hmm. It comes back to, for me anyway, I think it comes back to really giving children the opportunities to get the foundations right. Mm -hmm. When they feel that sensation, they get that body memory of, oh, mum used to then take me outside on the trampoline. Or then mum would, you know, what I do with my my son and I was teaching this, had this really beautiful experience in my membership this week where I teach the idea of telling stories to bring on, on sad tears for children who may not just easily flow into those sad tears. 
and I was teaching this mum about it and she said to me, oh, my gosh, I've been doing this with my son and now he says to me, hey, mum, can you say something that's going to make me cry before I go to bed? And just that like that knowing, right, he has just come home to himself. He is like, I just need a good cry before I go, before I fall asleep. And it's that basic foundational stuff about understanding the discomfort in our body and how we release it. You know, I I think is most important. I so notice this in myself, the more I've come home to my own body. And I mean, and my femininity, like I, I really notice there's particular times of the month where I'm more sensitive Mm -hmm. and, and I can also, you know, as an adult communicate that the things that make me more emotional are, um, it's not that they're not worthy of being emotional, but like, it's just that, that the buildup, like the threshold telling you is much lower. And so finding the capacity as an adult to communicate with, Mm. You know, my partner, for example, if I'm more sensitive, but also the cry for me, even if it's not a big cry is so mm-hmm. important. It like, yeah. it's, it's what tips the wave and like helps it go yeah. back, like back to shore. Whereas if I don't, and I suppress it, yeah, I carry it yeah, <laughs> so much further through my day. And I actually can't move the emotion. Exactly. And that's the kind of stuff that I want the next generation to have so deep within the cells of their body that that's so normal, Yeah. right? That they're like, oh, I have these memories of mum just telling me these stories that helped me move that emotion before I went to sleep. So it's going to come up so much more naturally for these kids as they grow. Mm-hmm. But I think we're getting confused and we're trying to teach adult interventions like, like tools or, or mantras or ways of thinking or cognitive, you know, shifting their thoughts in some way and I'm like no let's just get our kids back to their bodies Mm. let's just get them back to the foundational stuff and help them move that emotion so Mm. that they know what that process is like over and over and over again Mm. and that's what I think is is most important for our kids in terms of of safety and body and and understanding their emotions yeah I mean it's great what you said too about like the movement you know jumping on the trampoline for me it's been dance it's coming home yeah as an adult, aesthetic dance, just complete free movement and really feeling it move the energy through the body where you can go into, uh, you know, a dance feeling quite stuck or in your head and then you come home to the body. It's just this, it's something so lost in our, in our culture, especially of, you know, the therapy and the going and talking and the cognitive behavior, which I mean, it all, everything has a place, but but without the body piece and coming home to the body, which of course has been negated in so many ways, look at, you know, the, the Catholic church and the, just the, you know, the body mm-hmm. is like come second to the mm-hmm. enlightenment. And even in, in Eastern, all these Eastern, you know, guru Buddha, it's like the body just keeps being dismissed. But for me, the most spiritual practice has actually been truly coming home to the body. Mm-hmm. It has been this like, yeah, it, it's completely life-changing. Yeah. I love that you said dance. I do the same. And, and for anyone out there who's a parent, that's the exact thing that I use when I'm feeling overwhelmed and I'm in the presence of my kids. So I pump loud music 
often I pump something like Tracy Chapman, who always brings me to tears. <laughs> and I dance around so my kids can see me moving that energy and they can see me moving that emotion in a healthy way. Mm. But I'm not just letting it build and build and getting frustrated. Well, sometimes I do, like we're human. But I'm <laughs> that like, but when I can when I can, I come back to that like dancing in front of them so they can actually see me doing what I'm teaching them to do as well. So it just becomes this full circle of like, this is what we do with emotion. I love it. And in terms of, um, yeah, I mean, I guess is that, is that a big part of spending enough time with your children where you are the, you are the safe place, knowing that there will be other interactions, there's going to be other people influencing our children, but just being, I guess, the main source of connection where you're aware, where you can instill enough of these teachings and support them enough so that when like other people are influencing your children. Maybe if it's a, it could be a grandparent, you know, there's, there's so many people raising our children. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there's two things to this. One is that like the primary attachment figures will have the greatest influence, right? You do have more influence than the teacher. Yeah. So I think that that's an important thing to come back to is that like, if you build that attachment and you become the most important person in that child's life, you will have the greatest influence on them Mm -hmm. and that's how kind of the process of attachment works and if they go to school with a teacher who they're not attached to they're not actually going to have that much well obviously depending on on the situation but but mostly they're not going to have that much um influence right Mm -hmm. so i think it's it is coming back to the attachment piece and then it's also about particularly when i think it comes to grandparents and things it's about understanding that none of us are perfect I think sometimes in this kind of conscious community we can say like well I want my child to be treated like this and I want this this and this and you know I did it too with my eldest but to really look particularly with grandparents and and aunties and uncles and look at where where's the good that they bring what do they bring your child that maybe you can't offer them Mm -hmm. like maybe that grandparent comes with such like you know, openness and like a willingness to play all day and, and love on your child when you're like tired and you've got another baby. And, and so what good are they also bringing your child? Maybe they're not holding space for emotions. And when that grandparent has to leave, you have to kind of, you know, allow more emotions to flow out of the body afterwards. But mm. it is important for children to have multiple attachment figures and none of those attachment figures have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. So I think it is also important for us to go, okay, we know where our values are. And there'll be lines, right? Like I will, like there will be certain things that I will or won't tolerate if someone's looking after my child for sure. Um, but I don't need to get to be a perfectionist about that. I can see where they're bringing good to my children and see that that village of attachment is yeah. really healthy for my children. And then I can bring what I bring, which is maybe holding space for the emotions or, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I think that kind of, it kind of relates back maybe in the opposite way to it's never too late to change your parenting style, mm. but also that like, like the resistance and the different types of interactions are a part of the human existence. Yeah. Yeah. And so children like being in this isolated bubble of, you know, even perfect parenting and perfect being raised absolutely perfectly. It's not reality. Like the world has different kinds of people in it. And also entrusting our children to you know grow and learn from from the different kinds of resistance that they're going to face throughout their entire life 
Exactly. And as long as you're that safe person that they can come home to mm-hmm. and, and have a cry and move that emotion, that's what that's what's most important. And I think obviously I say this with some developmental pieces in mind, like, you know, under six or seven, I think we have to be pretty mindful if we can about who's spending the majority of time with our children just because they don't have the capacity to advocate for themselves. They don't have the capacity to like kind of be brave. Like there's a few things they just don't have capacity for yet. So I think in those early years, yes, absolutely. We are like kind of keeping them in somewhat of a little bubble. Like not, I don't want people to take that to the extreme, but it's okay to kind of be a bit more overprotective in those early years. And Mm -hmm. then once they get that, you know, more capacity to do different things, they can go out into the world and, and come home and, and process that and move through that with us and that's just part of learning and growing yeah cool um I would love for you to discuss you you shared it recently on on your Instagram page but this concept of it's not about the second cookie um I just loved I would love for you to to explore that a little bit together yeah so just that idea that often parents get Um, kind of hung up on the details of why the child is melting down or or finding their tears Mm -hmm. and forgetting that like they're carrying around so much all day Mm -hmm. particularly if they're away from you or if you're trying to parent multiple multiple children in in, you know one adult trying to parent multiple children um, they have to kind of hold it in and then sometimes they'll find intuitively they'll find that safe moment or that moment where they're ready to release just as we do as adults, right? Like you might hold those tears on until mm. a friend gives you a hug or until something happens or you're home alone and you're like, yeah, okay, I'm ready for them to move. Mm-hmm. And so when, you know, the child gets upset because you've said no to a second cookie, it's not necessarily about the second cookie. It's just releasing everything that's being built up for them. Mm-hmm. And so to really be mindful and not judge the child in that moment of like, they're so ungrateful. I give them so many cookies, but to go, this isn't about the cookie. And I just need to be here and be with this emotion and not judge why it's, why it's coming out now, but just be okay and be happy that it's actually coming out and yeah. sit with the release and then watch your child come back to center and then move on with the day. Mm. I love that. So really the tears being this huge piece, like this huge opportunity yeah. For release um, of yeah. of build up, which yeah, I mean we do as adults. I yeah. I I definitely try now to process things as they come up more and more, and be really radically honest with my somatic knowing. Like when I feel you know I'm having an interaction with anyone really, and it feels tight in my chest or my throat, or I really trying to communicate that in real time as opposed to letting it and dismissing, like kind of bulldozing the somatic reality. Yeah. Um, but still, I mean, you can see that when tears come, typically you're like, oh, it's, it's a bunch of little things, you know, that have kind of built up over the day or the week or the month for some people years. Yeah. And then there's a catalyst and sometimes the catalyst for people is enormous. It's like a, you know, a huge, it could be a death or a huge mm-hmm. rupture or something, but you can see that the tears are not necessarily just about that. They're really about all that's been building up in since the last opportunity your body has had to really move through emotion. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's just so important to say it like that. And, and then to take that as parents and give yourself permission that you didn't have an opportunity to listen to those tears in the Mm -hmm. morning or you had to get your child 
to an appointment on time or something or whatever it was that there's always more opportunities mm-hmm. you can always come back and those tears are still there right mm-hmm. like it, it's it also I think frees up it is great to do it along the way as much as we can but also gives permission to parents to be like if you didn't get it you didn't have it in you that day it's okay mm-hmm. they're still there to be heard tomorrow we don't have to be perfect with it yeah, and ironically, like in this example of the cookie and kind of back looping back to that initial story about, you know, your brother interacting with your children of like, sometimes we're so quick to want to solve the tears that we actually just give the second cookie when really it's like mm-hmm. what a beautiful opportunity to mm-hmm. allow emotion instead of trying to problem solve. Exactly. Exactly. And that would be, yeah, if I think if parents could take one thing about that, that like that's also where boundaries become so important because the boundaries are the wall that the child hits up against and has the opportunity to release the emotions in a healthy way. And -hmm. if there's no boundaries, where does that child push up against to actually find their tears and and release their disappointment? Mm -hmm. Do you work, um, do you work with people? I mean, like kind of back to that question about mindful parenting before having children, something I've been working on a lot myself in in terms of not only for parenting I really it's kind of the same as conscious conception and all these you know pre having children all the detox is really what makes you a good conscious parent is just working on being a good conscious human being and mm-hmm. you know reparenting your own inner child and and becoming as like integrated as you can as a person um, but do you work with people uh, the parents in terms of being able to hold their own somatic wellness, like being um, like not being dysregulated, for example, when a child gets upset, I think, yeah. in, I know in relationship, it's such a huge part of, you know, the codependency of like, uh, like me needing my partner to be happy for me to be happy. Or when he gets upset, you know, for me to get upset, it's like, how can parents hold their emotions without getting dysregulated if their child for example is upset about the second cookie yeah yeah absolutely and that is kind of the majority of the work I do is working I don't actually work with children anymore just parents to help them lead in their most embodied and effective way so helping them be able to widen their window of tolerance so that they can hold more for their children Mm -hmm. Um, along with obviously some of the other things I've talked about of like recognizing what their child's trying to tell them and understanding what those emotions are are signaling to them but um, absolutely working on being able to be present with those uncomfortable sensations inside of their body Mm -hmm. um, so that they can have they can practice that right and that doesn't that doesn't move them into a more dysregulated state but they can actually be with that sensation and allow it to be there and watch it rise and fall um, so that then they can be with their child's discomfort. Mm-hmm. That's such an so important piece. of. Is yeah, that, parenting. is that, I mean, I'm sure it would be much more than like, there's no one, two, three steps to anything really in life or, anything <laughs> or integrating, but so that to witness if someone, if a parent is feeling dysregulated at their children's big emotions um, is it, witnessing, is that where it starts to just witness what you're experiencing in your own, um, in your own body, or do you have any tip on what someone can do if they're feeling overwhelmed at their children's, um, yeah, the dysregulation in their children? 
Yeah, I think it, it kind of come back, comes back to exactly what I teach with children. Yeah. So I would say the same things for adults is like, is there something that's activating you in such a way? Like, yes, we have to practice being with our body and I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Yeah. But is there something that's activating you in a way that means like it's just too much for you to hold and that's okay, right? Like, like are you alone all day, every day for seven days a week with multiple children? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. no one should really have to hold that. So, mm-hmm. so is there some practical stuff that we can shift? in terms of the way that the family is run so that they have more spaciousness to be able to then show up for their children. So just as I would say, like, is there something activating the child in a way that's too much for them that we can just pull out? Like I would say the same for the adult. Um, And then it would depend on, again, like what they have capacity for. Like, do they just need to dance and move? Um, Is that, is that capable, but are they capable of that um, throughout the day so that they've got they're moving it as you were saying before it's kind of like they're moving the emotion as they're going rather than it building up Mm -hmm. but then in terms of just being able to hold for a meltdown I think there's like there's firstly there's the reframe so really understanding that your child's doing what they need to do to rebalance their system Mm -hmm. and they're not trying to they're not out to get you they're not manipulating you like they're literally just like I need to get this emotion out of my body and I think when parents can start to understand that that can give them some more spaciousness Mm. but then it is also about and I was working inside my membership I was working with this uh, with a mum on this actually just this week and and whining was really um a- a challenging for her to hear her child was whining like you know that I think that's the word that you use yeah, in, whining, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um and she's like I just can't hold it like it's so frustrating and so one of the things I said to her was like okay well just practice in that moment being with that discomfort and reminding yourself that whenever you're with that discomfort and you don't react to it and you allow it to rise and fall, it's moving through you and it's actually widening your ability to tolerate discomfort. Mm. And she's like, okay, so she went and did that. And then she's like, wow, I got to the end of the day. And what I realized, because I was so much more in my body, I realized that I'd been holding it and I'd been able to do it, but I got to the end of the day and I was really irritable and I was having a hard time. And she said, I just realized I just needed to cry. It was exactly the same as what I want my child to do. And so she had a big cry with her husband. And then she said she woke up the next morning and had this huge capacity for her child that she hadn't had before. Mm. So I think it's all of those pieces of like trying to be with our body and recognizing, okay, that's heat or okay, that's movement. I don't need to judge that. I don't like, can I be with that? And then allowing for the release through like movement or tears or something like that. And just exactly going through the same processes that mm-hmm. we want our kids to go through is what allows our parents to hold more space for our kids. It's this beautiful, like. It's mirror. so beautiful. Yeah. And that, that, I guess the projection that like you can, as an adult, learn okay we know the tears are important and yet still subconsciously mm-hmm. not embody it like you know totally. yeah. wanting to and even I guess in that in that place also taking on like if the child's going through um some sort of a tantrum it being a reflection on the parent that the parents mm-hmm. failed as opposed to being like no what we both actually need maybe not at the same time, (laughs) you know, to hold space for their emotion and also our own, like in learning to cultivate that for our children. I think we learn to do it for ourselves. Yeah. And vice versa, right? Like if you can learn to do it for yourself before you have children, you're going to be way more set up to do it when they, 
yeah when they come to to trigger you so beautifully mm-hmm. mm. maybe we can just finish yeah with some resources that you recommend um I will definitely link to your own courses. Maybe you can touch a little bit on those as well. Um, and any, yeah, any books you mentioned your mentor who, for people that just want to, you know, dive deep. <laughs> mm. um, so yeah, you'll link my, so I have an Instagram. I have a podcast that's kind of handy to listen to if you're wanting to get, um, move away from rewards and consequences. Cause I just did one season on, kind of each episode is like what you would replace the rewards and consequences with. So instead of, because I think sometimes people are like, I'm not going to use rewards and consequences and then they don't know what to do instead. So mm-hmm. there's, um, it's called the Raising Humans Kind podcast and there's just one season of like six or seven episodes where I dive into all the things you would do instead of using rewards and consequences. So that can be a helpful um, mm-hmm. thing. Obviously I share lots of, of free information over at Instagram. So the, it's amazing. Um, <laughs> The book that I mentioned or the, my mentor before yeah. who I mentioned, um, Dr. Gordon Newfeld, he's written a beautiful book called Hold On To Your Kids, which he co-authored with Gabor Mate. Um, and that just shares some really lovely insights into attachment and how that works. And I would say it's probably one of my favourite parenting books. Um, it just gives a really beautiful insight into some of the more deeper and foundational things that we, should, we could focus on as parents. Cool. Um, and yeah, I think that's, I think that kind of covers it. Oh, and I run a membership as well for people who are parents of kind of stuck or more sensitive kids who really want to stay on a parenting path, but are feeling like their kids having a really hard time. So it's not about just like general parenting advice. It's like, okay, I'm really stuck and everyone around me is telling me I need to resort to consequences or whatever. And so that's the place where you can come and find resources and connect with me and ask questions on the forum and find a beautiful group of, of other parents who are navigating, you know, when respectful parenting gets tough and tricky and sticky and it's not mm-hmm. as like beautiful and flowing as we thought it would be when we started out. And that's the place for that. Ashley, thank you so much for your time and wisdom. Um, yeah. You're such a gift, honestly, to the world. I've learned so much from you already and So thank you. And my future babies, thank you as well. (laughs) Thanks for being here, Cam. Thanks for sharing this, these important conversations. I think it's wonderful that so many people are are having these conversations even before having kids. It's such a, such a good sign for all of us. (laughs) Thank you. Bye for now. Thanks, Ashley. Bye. Bye.